on, hold on, hold on. No, no, no. It's all is good. I didn't need to hold on at all. Scotty, 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 Scotty. You know what that was for? Uh, is that because you've been in Italy and the home of opera and you thought you'd sing to me in Italian, but you didn't know any so when you sang my name? Precisely. And it was in honor of our best friend and occasional, even publicly admitted listener, Uli, who seems to like opera and correctly identified some of the, the butchered aria I sang at various points. <laughs> that that, that vincero, uh, which is, uh, yeah, it's from yet another Puccini opera. And I was, in fact, in the land of Puccini um, for a couple of weeks. You am. And we should point out, just for just for clarification, you do speak, actually, very good Italian because you, uh, you had to pass Italian to get your Italian citizenship, didn't you? I did. Uh, I haven't gotten my Italian citizenship yet, but I did as, a, as, even a, as, a, as a, a requirement to even apply. I had to, to pass an exam, which I did. It was fun. Oh, that's still going on, is it? Wow, well, there it we takes are. Time. So there we are. Who knew? It's... But, uh, uh, it's it's been going on almost as long as this podcast. And with almost as much effectiveness. <laughs> yes, that is probably true. So, John, you've, you've been uh, vacationing in, in beautiful Italy for a few weeks where I suspect you've been doing bugger all other than you know, eating great food and drinking great wine and you know, basically taking in the rays. And, you know, so now you're back and you're fresh and you're excited for technology and you are going to just wow us with your vigor and your um, enthusiasm and your technical knowledge today. Uh, yes. And I want to talk about how toll free bridging is just not at all toll free. <laughs> That's about as oh, the most exciting thing that I can There we say. are. <laughs> uh, we built that up. That could have been amazing. That could have been like how, you know, Swift UI has just embraced this stuff and done it. Or it could be how you've just like embraced actors in the Swift async stuff. And no, we're going for toll free bridging. <laughs> no, there no. we are. Wow. <laughs> There we are. I, I, I build it up and you just shoot it down. John, tell us all about toll-free bridging. No, it's, 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 there's nothing to say. I mean, that was just... Uh... Oh, so we, not only that, not only you bring us up, there's now nothing to say about it. No, Scott, if you would <laughs> shut the peep up, I would you know, at least get, get out what I was trying to say. A couple of, of, of points of precision. One is that, yes, I was on vacation for, for a chunk of time, but I also was working because I went, uh, went to the London office and I went to the Amsterdam office and went back to the London office uh, on the beginning and the end of, of, of my time in Italy. Um, and so, it, you know, partly I was finishing up making sure that this project that I had worked on that was going into a QA allocation for an A-B test went smoothly and it did pass the QA allocation. Now we're working to get it into its full allocation. Uh, and then I had to spin off onto something else, and it, it is absolutely something I, I can't talk about. <laughs> so that's going to be sorry for a bit. Um, but one of the things that that I came back to is, uh, you know, we were looking into every last bit of optimization we can pull out of out of cells in, in a, a um, in a feed, and that's always kind of the most difficult thing to optimize because you know 
it just, well, it just is because things that may not be that that are that are relatively speaking expensive may not really matter if it's on on a canvas that you you know tap on a piece of box art and up comes the detail page and that you know just to to fetch the data and present the thing in that amount of time you have pl- relatively speaking plenty of time to be able to to make things work and it only needs to be displayed once whereas with a cells as you know with recycling and all that kind of stuff. You, you may have to do a lot of expensive calculations involving text, for example, um, and, and you know, the placement of buttons. And then when you layer on top of that respect for preferred content size where you need to, you know, get the base size and then figure out should I scale it and even have, you know, have code in there that can handle it when, when people change size, of course, your cells can become rather complicated. And so then you say, all right, well, you start profiling and profiling and profiling, saying where is every last bit of performance drain in particular in the very beginning things. And as it turns out, um, uh, when you are an AV heavy test, an AV test heavy application, which which I can't think of an app that 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 deploys at scale that doesn't. Um, you have to be able to have you know things that that are colloquially known as as feature flags. So you may be in A/B test, and then you may be able to say, well, in this particular test cell, what are the attributes of it? You know, what what things might change the layout? And so then there's a set of configuration which comes down that you know that we lovingly refer to as config, just as a shorthand for it. It ends up being a a you know a fairly sizable dictionary, which you know when a, when when somebody you know signs in and they select their profile, there's a whole set of configuration that comes down and it's heavily cached. But this stuff has been around for a long time, and as it turns in, you know, an NS dictionary when it gets turned into Swift, there's an expensive that that tank not tank their tank not toll free bridging there, as they might say in, in North Carolina. Um, and so then, if you have a couple of calls to be able to figure out if they're in this test cell, maybe this button doesn't exist, or maybe it goes over there, or, or some other attribute. So you might make two or three calls. And that little bit of uh, performance drain may be enough to be able to, you know, on low-end devices, you know, make a difference. And, and those types of things that that w- where you see these performance drains, of course, all, always are on slower devices. So it's a reminder uh, to to people out there um, that, you know, <laughs> I like tooling around the world with my fancy modern phone. But you always have to test on, not only on small screens, which I, I used to always just kind of equate small with shitty slow device. Uh, but in fact, there are plenty of slow that are there are plenty of small devices that are plenty fast, like a modern whatever iPhone SE series is, has a, a modern processor. It's much faster than, let's say, an iPhone six, which people would tend to think is not a shitty phone. Um, uh, but in terms of performance, it can be that you that older devices you come across that. So, yes. Um, Whereas you were hoping or expecting me to go on and on about how, you know, I had a vision while on the beach and, and eating a tomato that was perfect um, about how within a matter of, of days we could rewrite everything <laughs> with all the most, you know, up-to-date, bleeding-edge technology. Uh, if you're shipping an app and it goes to a lot of people and it has to support a lot of devices, um, uh, then you kind of have to come back and get back into sweating these small details. So that's what I have to say in this first instance. What what have you to say for yourself, Scotty Scott? Well, it's reasonably interesting because uh, I've been feature flagging things. Um, at the moment, we're still working on this migration for this uh, client application, and we're now at the stage we're going to, um, you know, uh, put it out there and, and maybe start. And uh, yeah, we're using various. 
techniques. I'm not sure what I can and can't talk about, it, but you know, it's you know, feature flagging is a way a migration will be triggered, and just the way people feature flag is interesting because uh, you know, we're using a in-house feature flag system that's been written in Python with a Python backend. Does exactly what you've said. It delivers a delivers a bunch of JSON down to the the app, which gets heavily cached and then get loaded. Now, I'm interested that you know, do you do you parse the JSON every time you're looking at a feature, or do you? No, is no. it because there's because there's so much of it? So you're caching the whole thing in memory in the NS dictionary, but you're still saying accessing the dictionary is quite slow on old devices. Uh, well, so it's, yes, so, uh, you you absolutely don't parse it every single time. That that parsing happens once, but you know, uh, whereas it's perfectly okay in Objective C world to be able to have a, a dictionary in memory, for example, and just ask for properties of it. You if you ask for a single property in in the Swift side of it it's going to have to basically decode or you know bring the entire dictionary across the across the the, the chasm chasms you know across the portal something like that uh, and and so then you're incurring that overhead and so the larger the dictionary becomes the the more you know troublesome it can be so then you either have to kind of you know parse it all in swift on one side in which case you have that overhead once or and then you have an optimized structure an actual you know dictionary in in on the, the the swift side or you have to have some caching mechanism it really has to do with when you have to have to access it both from objective c and the swift side and therein lies the the rub you know there's plenty of cases where doing where you know the the, the benefits of swift in terms of performance and, and and knowing precisely what what the what the shape of a data structure is and what the contents are allowed to be an NS dictionary is as absolutely free form you can do whatever you want so i'm not surprised and i don't understand shit about this but you know conceptually i can understand that since a dictionary an NS dictionary contain absolutely anything of any class at any time no problem no worry it can be as nested as you want whereas swift as we all know you have to define well what data types and and all the way along the side, you know, all the way along. So, you know, in an ideal world, you know, you, you want to be very precise about it. And if it can be, you know, turned down into something like it is absolutely, we can guarantee it that it's just a a, a, a key of string and a value of string or, or whatever, then that makes things faster. So um, there are certainly plenty of tricks that you can do. But it, it really, it, it's, it's not rocket science. It, but it is requires a lot of planning because over the long time, long term life of a code base and an application, there's there's just no such thing as like saying, okay, we're going to stop everything, rewrite everything, and swoosh, bring the brand new in. You, it's an incremental process, and you you have to decide at what point you rewrite what, and and and, and how do you get rid rid of things that aren't necessary anymore, and 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 that's. And that's not just something we started doing today. I mean, that's that's a process that's going on all the time. Even if we never made the change to, to Swift, you would want to do that as a matter of course. But when you have, you know, still some code base in Objective-C, which plenty of apps still do, <laughs> to say nothing of Apple frameworks, these are things you have to think about from time to time. Yeah, and I think um, I think also if you're just in a pure Swift world, then obviously... Even though, in theory, you're copying things around, I think Swift actually does a bunch of optimizations and doesn't really copy them until it has to. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like, um, isn't it? I mean, I know Objective-C and Swift do this with strings. You, mm-hmm. you copy a string and you end up with one string until one of those strings 
needs to change. And at that right. point, it splits splits them. So although you've theoretically got 20 copies of this string around, you've probably only got one until such time as it's it's needed. And I, and I think it probably does, I mean, you know, similar optimizations with dictionaries and everything. But of course, as soon as you create that bridge into the uh, into the other world, it can't really rely on uh, Objective-C understanding those optimizations. So it's got to do all the work, I guess. Yeah, and I will. I will uh, in honor of Georg. So whenever I think of web objects, I think of Georg, Lord Georg. Um, uh, in that, I do remember way, 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 way back in the web objects days. You know, there there came this time when, um, in, you know, they decided, well, you know, this web objects platform is good and people like it, but people hate Objective C, so we need to make it, you know, programmable in Java. And then they, there came this time when they they had a, a bridged version, which I guess was WebObjects 4.5, and it was remarkably slower on both sides than 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 version 4 was. And then I believe it was WebObjects 6, which kind of removed that penalty, and then Java became the official language of, of WebObjects, more or less, and then that went away. And I, sh- you know, I was reminded of that, is that you know there's no such thing as toll free bridging even if you think there there can be but there ain't yeah i mean where i mean the feature flag system we're using on this client app is, is you know, i mean it's it's say it's in house it's you know basically it's a dictionary of feature flags each feature flag is itself a dictionary so each feature flag can have a totally different set of data associated with it and then it's up to the app to understand it, it all gets translated to swift structs as a 100% pure swift thing and it and it and it works fine but it it does come down to you've got to have um a server to pull the feature flags from and you know when you're someone like uh, us with moneywell uh you basically one of the things we've learned is you do everything you can to not have a server involved if you can help it or at best, you know, uh, not have your own server involved if you can help it. The moment, the moment you're running your own server, you become a twenty four seven operation. Whereas if you're just doing client software, yeah, you can do nine till five or you know eight till six support. You can do Monday to Friday. The moment you've got a server infrastructure that you own, but associated with your app, you're you're setting yourself up for. A, a different commitment, and I do regularly hear about you know indies who've done this stuff with a whole bunch of servers, and you know they go on vacation, and they're never really on vacation because they still have to watch the server logs, they still have to watch whatever, and yeah, we're pretty keen to um to to avoid that, and I know there's loads of systems out there to um uh, to allow. Yeah, you just to do that where someone else hosts the server and uh, uh, that all works for you. So, you know, I I guess that's probably a way we will go with, um, uh, um, yeah, with our feature flagging. Although I've not, to be honest, I've never really looked into any of them, so I don't know how flexible they are, how how easy they are, or, or whatever else. But you know, sometimes paying someone a few bucks a month to be responsible for the infrastructure is um is a way to go. Indeed. Scotty, um, for the nostalgia section of, of this podcast, can I bring up some nostalgia? It's the nostalgia section of the podcast where we look back on something nostalgic. <laughs> that good enough? Yeah, that was grand. So, Scotty, 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 do you remember uh, many, many years ago in the before times when people could regularly travel, uh, you and I went to Amsterdam for for uh, you know to to visit with Amsterdam and to to kind of talk about what was going on there. 
uh, and there there was a whole swirl around patents, um, software patents, because I can't even remember the exact case, but there were the, you know it, beca- it became there was a I guess a This American Life podcast on patents and how you know that there's some small town in Texas which just has more post office boxes than than people in the entire county, and it just happens to be a it was done that way so that companies who wanted to file patent protection in Texas could do it, and then that that you had all these companies that were filing these bullshit patents. You do recall that I think. And, yep, uh, I do. and so, and so, you know, uh, I remember going to, to, uh, to record a podcast with it in a, in a slightly more professional environment than we typically do with, with, with Mike Lee, who was, you know, the, one of the, the co-founders of, of, of Amsterdam. And when I was in Amsterdam this past, uh, couple of weeks ago, whatever, for a couple of days, I got to, to, to meet up with him and hang out and, and with Martinez and other people who were, and, and Samuel, all these good, great folks that I remember from the scene back then. But the reason I bring that up in particular is because I was staying in a hotel called the Volks Hotel. And so I get there and uh, and I, you know, show up to the registration desk and they say, John Fox, San Francisco. Now, are do you, are you Fox News? And I'm like going, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like making fun of Fox News, but no, I'm not for Fox News. And then I was chatting and bantering a little bit. And then I, I went up to my room and then I said, this place looks terribly familiar. Well, as it turns out, the Volks Hotel in Amsterdam used to house the, the I guess it was called the Volks Paper or whatever. It was one of the national newspapers. And it was, in fact, in that building. Oh, my God, Scotty. It must have been at least how many years ago? 12 years ago? <laughs> a long ass time ago uh, that we were up in the thing. And, and in the meantime, they converted all this, this, you know, this, this newspaper building into a rather nice and fun and clever hotel. So next time you're in Amsterdam, I can recommend the Volks Hotel as a, as a, as a nice place, centrally located, um, that has a fun history to it. There's well, a nostalgia. There yeah. That was definitely nostalgic. Yeah. Definitely nostalgic. Yes. So we've been, um, uh, we had some issues uh, in many well over the last few weeks that's come out in the beta that we've we've ended up with duplicate um, records in the database after certain things happen, particularly if you uh, sort of delete the app or and it'll try and restore it onto a new machine. And um, we were having, uh, uh, you know, just it was not happening all the time, only in certain circumstances, and it was a complete um, pain in the backside. And um, we discovered this morning what was causing the problem. Um, and you know, the long and short of it is, is we had a delegate that should have been being called in our sync system that wasn't a delegate method that that wasn't being called and um, therefore certain things around unique IDs were not happening and therefore um, the sync system was believing that a record was new even though it was identical to what it already had and it was re-adding it and we ended up with duplicates all over the place and in sort of nonsense. Um, now the the this is coming back to the bridging thing um, it seems that you know this this delegate uh, signature method signature was generated by auto co-completion when we first uh, started with um, uh, the uh, uh, you, you, using this system uh, a while ago, and it seems at some point during an update the signature of that method had changed with an extra parameter, and yet for some reason 
the compiler didn't ever complain about it. So because we were going into an objective C world, you know, from from Swift, uh, this you know objective C was never finding a matching method and, and never calling it yet. Our app was compiling away and doing all sorts of things without us ever knowing about it. And there may have been some obscure warning somewhere, but as I've said before, we're and this is one of the you know this is one of the problems here. I think you know the bridging there was a problem there and when there's changes, but equally. Yeah, we're dealing with an app that's got a very old code base, and no matter how much we've tried, we've still got a reasonable number of warnings. And when you know, so maybe there is, uh, you know, there has been at some point a, a obscure sort of warning that didn't make sense or, or whatever around this. I, I have no idea if there was or wasn't. But of course, when you have an application that has you know a few hundred warnings in it for deprecations and whatever else, you don't always see them. So. Firstly, this is uh, a bit of a lesson to watch out for when you're doing bridging between Objective-C frameworks and, and Swift. But equally, you know, it's just another life lesson that if you need to spend some time getting yourself down to zero warnings or treat warning as errors, it's probably worthwhile because I suspect the amount of time that would have taken for us was probably less than we spent trying to fix this problem. Wow, it's like it, it, we, I'm just thinking about possible titles for this show: "Bridge to Nowhere" or "Face Down in a Canal" or something along those lines. Yeah, the the bridge has got a fucking hole in it. Um. <laughs> I guess I don't know where. Yeah, not to not to harp on the Amsterdam theme, but it, it was it was lovely to be back and to kind of look at it again and see how things have changed. Because you know, back when we were there, and and there was this effort where there there were still neighborhoods in, in the city that, you know, that were not posh in any way. And then by now, kind of any place that's anywhere central, I, I just don't think that there's any place left. And and as it turns out, there's a, a big demand for people to come and live and study in general in, in Europe and in the Netherlands, in particular in Amsterdam. Um, so that was interesting to see that. But there was discussion. I can't remember where I heard it about about biking in Amsterdam, because, of course, people are always surprised. Like, oh, my God, look at all these bikes. There are more bikes than people. And that, that, in fact, <laughs> that there is this great circularity to it and that it's a fairly common occurrence for people to, to get shit-faced drunks, bike along, and either willingly or not, their their bike ends up in in the canal. And so then there are people who, you know, are paid by the city to fish them out and being ecologically minded, they, they pull them out and that some portion of the metals is used <laughs> to, to make you know, drinking cans or whatever, <laughs> and then that contains the cycle. Yeah, they can contain the alcohol that they, people drink the next time when they're going to dump a bike into the canal. That's exactly. Right, yes. And I think that where things will get if we if we become darker, then they might kind of make it so that somehow the bikes will be smart enough to have ejection seats and that we can put organic matter into the canal and, and compost that in some fashion so that, that the yeah. idiot drunk themselves may contribute to the beautification of the city by by nourishing the root systems of a flower somewhere. Uh, so talking of um, compost heaps, are you using Xcode 14 at all? Yes. <laughs> Why would you? And, uh, no, no, actually, in fairness to Xcode 14, it's it's, it's, it's Pretty good. Yeah. I just wondered, you know, it's um, this is probably the first time in a long time that I've not been. I would normally be running the macOS beta on my laptop by now. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not a day one person, but yeah, you know, we're in you know mid August. I think is it beta five? Is it mm -hmm. um, macOS Pet Detective? So it's um, you know, I would normally have one there by now, but uh, 
I just uh, I, I have I do have one laptop with it on in there. Um, interestingly, I have a few UI glitches that only appear in Ventura. Um, mainly to do with positioning and auto layout, and I end up with some entry field system. Um, yeah, I said Ventura, didn't I? Um, so you know, positions that it doesn't lay out the same way on Ventura as it does on previous versions. Um, and I have a list of those, and they're probably small little fixes. They probably are, you know, something to do with my fault that I've probably got a constraint wrong that I was getting away with before, and and now I'm not. Um, as I'm guessing, that's what I'm assuming is the case, and I've, I've made a list of issues for them. But equally, uh, I know, you know, traditionally uh, macOS often has... Uh, um, UI glitches in beta that then get fixed in you know in in the end. So this this is like a game of chicken um, of how long do I wait to start fixing these uh, versus waiting to see if the next update fixes them itself. Um, and yeah, I'm not assuming that any of them are going to take too long to to fix. I guess I did have a problem with the last release where if I fixed it for. Uh, the latest OS, it broke it in the previous OS. Um, so I guess if they're all like that, that could be a problem. Um, so I had to then end up with a bit of a um, you know, conditional code around it. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it, this is a problem when you're working with these betas. That, you know, when, you know, when do you start assuming the problem is yours and not the betas? And um, especially as we're getting closer and closer now, to release, I mean, I suspect, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just totally guessing, it's normally sometime in mid-September to mid-October we get the release, so we're, like, not that far away now. So um, my current plan is I am going to wait till, yeah, we normally get a couple of weeks from Goldmaster to to release, and I, my current plan is to leave it until then, but we'll see. Well, that that reminds me because not only you know you, there are two things that I have to say, and then we'll, we will have to start to to wind that wind this up. Uh, first thing is that the new title of this thing of this episode is now called "Warning: The Problem Is You," um, uh, so, <laughs> which is frequently the case. But and, you know, with newer versions of Xcode, one thing that's nice about it is that they 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 have better tooling, better optimization, and you can find some of these problems because, you know, what you're saying about treating warnings as errors, there there are certain times where in order to get a build out and, and, and you are having to straddle versions of Xcode and you've got a complex build system or, you know, build infrastructure, um, it, you don't always want to, to, to do your mainline build on a beta version of Xcode. And yet, you know, certain things that you can find out when they're available uh, how to get rid of some of these warnings or do other optimizations? It's a tricky thing, and 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 we've we've hit that in the past where where warnings that are very visible um, in one version of Xcode aren't in prior versions. And if your build system doesn't do it, then there you know you might not see them until they they got out in the field. And that particularly if it concerns bridging. Um, so that's I feel your pain. Um, but the other thing uh, having to do with, you know, we're in this position where there are plenty of people in the public beta who have iOS 16. And any time that there's a new feature, uh, sorry, a major new version and Apple does a public beta, on the one hand, Apple wants to say, it's like, you know, this is a beta software. Don't make it as your, your main OS on your carry phone or be prepared that, that there will be glitches. 
you know, it, it, there can be system level problems with 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 Apple's frameworks um, that may deeply affect your own application. And then you find out something that has worked until prior prior versions doesn't work on iOS 16 from one beta to a next that, that you might see see that change, and you may know confidently that it will get fixed or trust that that Apple has identified the problem and won't ship the new the new OS version until that thing's fixed. But that's on you. And that's why it's very helpful to be able to have granularity and say, well, turn this feature off if, if you're on this version of the OS so that you prevent that. And that is a tricky thing to, to manage, but that is something that, that we and I'm sure many other app developers are going through right now as we march towards iOS 16. Yeah, I could be honest, I've not even looked at iOS 16. I have it running on one of my iPads. Um, I like the look of it. I like the new lock screen look and everything. But as to any features in it, I haven't used it. And then I, I just sort of thought, well, I'm not sure I actually ever, as a user, used any of the features of iOS 15 mm. that were new. Uh, and then that's probably also true for the last couple of versions of of macOS. And I think I read I read a report, or was it a blog post, a couple of days ago that, was, that had some sort of, uh, it run some surveys on people's usage of i think it was just mac os like i could be wrong i'll have to find it out and it was and it was like showing that virtually you know it was single digit percentages if and maybe even very low single digit percentages of people were using new features from the last three years the last three releases of of mac os now it might just be that the type of people who answer a survey are all curmudgeonly people and you know don't move forward I, I i don't know and i'm sure apple must have analytics on this but it did raise the question is you know how much value is there in apple doing these features versus um you know making what they have better because there are still a heck of a lot of bugs in mac os mm. uh, particularly particularly in in products like mail which is a huge you know mail is a massively complex and huge application so there are always going to be problems with it it's never going to be perfect but it's you know there are some things that just need a bit more fixing um but i guess you know then there's the balance you know you know hey look we've made it crash less Mm. doesn't make a great keynote does it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's uh and it's a challenge there and i think this is one of the um you know one of the corners in some ways that maybe apple have back themselves into that worked so well for many years when mac os was first coming out and ios was first coming out about the big splash and everything else that you know now if they did anything less it would be seen as a failure but you know the stuff they're doing yeah i mean apple may prove me totally wrong and say well not that apple will give a shit what i'm saying but yeah apple may say no we've got you know we've got statistics that 14.6 billion people used that last week um you know the, you know the question is more going to be you know they, if they back themselves to call it that they have to keep making things flashier and flashier because that's the expectation they have created um yeah, remember when they stopped doing the um, uh, Mac World because they didn't want to put themselves under pressure mm-hmm. to release mm-hmm, a product, mm-hmm. release a product every single year, and then immediately started doing their own events to create a product release expectation <laughs> yes. every single year. <laughs> it's like, really, really. <laughs> if you just missed one year, if you just missed one year, you could have created a precedent that you could miss a year. But by doing the next three without doing it, you know, and they then. And for years, they hadn't done it with macOS, and now they've created a precedent of releasing macOS every year. You could go two or three years between macOS releases in the past. It's like, ah, uh, it's like, yeah. I think sometimes the big splash 
puts you in a position that actually you just need a little splash, but nobody wants to see a little splash. Mm. Well, speaking of, of people seeing a little splash, Scotty, if some small portion of the 14.6 billion people who, who who both use Apple products and listen to this podcast want to see you make a little splash into a canal after you've crashed your software and weren't paying attention, where might they do that? John, the best place to see any sort of crash in anybody's life is Twitter, where there will be nothing but sympathy thrown at people uh, from the loving members of that platform. And you can uh, spread that sympathetic love towards me <laughs> as Mac Devnet on, on, on Twitter. And if, John, if people want to tell you about uh, how well they can ride a bike drunk on the edge of a canal, where should they do that? Well, that they should, should do that on the place where civilization itself lies teetering on the edge between democracy and fascism on the sidewalk or face down in a polluted canal and that's twitter where you'll find me as djembe that's d-j-e-m-b-e like the west african drum john do you know what it's quite you know we were talking about big splashes and creating precedent and i think it's quite satisfying that after four weeks off after a load of rest after plenty of time to not have to think about these things We've come back and we've been just as mediocre as we've always been. <laughs> You're welcome. It was a pleasure being mediocre with you again, sir. And um, whoever was unfortunate enough to get this week on the rotor for listening after the last three or four weeks had got a week off, we do apologize. But thanks for listening. And until next time, you take care. Not to end up face down in a canal.